Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. God, we come to exalt you today. We do exalt you. Inhabit our praises. Receive our worship. Let it be a sweet-smelling savor in your nostrils and a sweet sound in your ear. God, we come to give ourselves away today. We come to worship you. We come as a living sacrifice. We present our bodies before you. God, make us holy and acceptable by our reasonable service. Father, I pray today that someone would prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. We bless you. We honor you. We come now, God, asking that you would come in the midst of your people. Fill this place. Fill every heart. Fill every room where this word is going out. God, we pray today that you would take your seat. And if you choose to do so, walk up and down in the midst of this candlestick. But bless your people with your presence because we're not enough until you come. Lord, will you meet us here again? We need you. We desire you. We've got to have you. Somebody is on the verge. Somebody's on the brink. Somebody's crying out. Somebody needs you, Lord. Arise, oh God. Arise and take your place. Take your abode in the midst of your people. We are your people. We're the sheep of your pasture. We're thankful unto you and we bless your name. We extol you. And may we honor you with our lives. And now speak a word with clarity. Speak to those who know you and to those who are getting to know you. And God, even to those who have not known you, those who sit in darkness, let a light shine today in the name of Jesus. May they see that great light. We come to you, our great King, King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler of every nation. We bless you. We honor you in this place and in every place because you are everywhere. Your presence is everywhere. And so now, God, send a word. Send a word that is in season. Send a word that touches us in dimensions that only you can touch. We commit this to you and into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. And by him we give thanks and say amen. Dearly beloved, it's an honor, it's a privilege that I never take lightly to come and break the bread of life with you. 
I pray that you sense the Spirit of God already and that you know he's come because he cares for you. He loves you, and we're going to talk about his great love just a bit more today through the sacrifice that he made, not for himself, but for you and for me. And we're going to begin in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. We're going to read a few verses, and we're going to, we're going to go through picking out select verses to lift up. But if you would go with me to Matthew 27, 1 and 2, it reads, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Last week, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter and all of those things that happened. And they took him from the garden in front of Caiaphas, the high priest, and all the elders were there, and the scribes and those who were against him, the priest. But it says, the first three words says, when morning came. When morning came. That is to let us know, Matthew is telling us, that all night they abused him. He suffered abuse and shame that he didn't have to suffer. He had power to end it all, but he realized after struggling in the garden and garden, talking to his father that there was no other way but the way of the cross. He said, Father, you can do all things. Nothing is impossible with you. If it is possible, take away this cup. And he prayed three times. And the answer was the same, this is the way. But those three words, when morning came, when morning came, caused me to think about what he endured that night and how the disciples must have felt. The 11, because by now Judas had betrayed him, plus the three who he took closer into, further into the garden who couldn't pray with him for one hour. And Jesus spotted the reason why when he said these words. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. They said, we'll die with you. We will never, ever deny you. We will go to the cross with you if we have to. How many of you have said to God, Lord, if you just get me out of this, I won't do this anymore. How many of you have ever said, Lord, after this bad hangover, you feel bad, you have a headache. Lord, I'm not going to drink anymore. And as soon as you feel better. For some of you, that's a faraway memory. For others, not so far. 
Peter followed him from, from a distance. But this is something that is just evidence that the spirit is willing. In the moment, we mean what we say. But because the flesh is weak, the difference between Jesus, he's nobody like him, is that his flesh wasn't weak. What makes the flesh weak? It's yielding to temptation. It's not temptation. Temptation is not a sin. But when we yield to it, we get weaker and weaker. And that's why Jesus could say, the prince of this world cometh and finds nothing in me. But after, when the morning came, he had endured some of the worst things in Middle Eastern culture. The thing that shows that you have disdain for another person is spitting on them. They spat on Jesus, spitting in his face. They're saying, we have no regard for you. In fact, we don't like you. In fact, we hate you. What everything you stand for, you say you're the king of the Jews, you're supposed to overturn Rome. What, is, what are they saying? They're saying we want God, but we want God on our own terms. Jesus submitted himself to his father because he knew there was no other way except the will of God. It's time that we learn that we can't have God on our terms. We have God on his terms or not at all, because his way is good. His way is right. He knows what's best for us. And so Jesus endured the spittle in his face. But if you want to disrespect and take a man's masculinity away in Middle Eastern culture, it's still true until this day. It was true then, culturally it's true now. You smack them, not punch, but smack them in the face. That is saying you are weak. We have no respect for you. What are you going to do about it? And the Bible says they took the palm of their hands and they hit him in the face. And they, after they blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who struck you? Who smote you? They did all of this. All night. Can you imagine if you were one of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and you heard about what he endured and you realized, I couldn't endure in prayer for one hour. If we would just think about what the Lord did for us, we would have greater endurance. We would be able to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. When morning came, they brought him now to Pilate. He endured this all night. That's one day, 24 hours. Now he's going to Pilate to endure more. I wanted, I wanted to set that up so that you have a sense of what he's already endured in the presence of the high priest. And then after they did all of this, they bound him. And he had to walk with shackles, his hands bound. And they took him to the governor because they found nothing against him. Nothing. But they still took him to the next level of judgment. And in Matthew 27 and 11, we're going to read three verses, 11 through 13. It reads, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you? the king of the Jews, Jesus said to him, 
it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Accusations coming his way, but he answered nothing. Verse 13 says, then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not a word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Pilate marveled because all these accusations, things that were worthy of death, but Jesus didn't say a word. Oh, that we could stand up to accusation and not feel like we had to defend ourselves, knowing that we're in the will of God. When you're in the will of God, you don't have to defend yourself. They put all these things out there that weren't true, and Jesus took it. Had been beaten all night. By now, he's weary. 24 hours of scourging and suffering, and now he's standing before more false accusers. And Pilate asked him a question, the critical question. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? That's what they're saying about you. I need to know from your lips, are you the king of the Jews? Why did Pilate ask him that question? Because if Jesus says yes to that, that is admitting that he is in a position that he has no authority to be in according to Roman law. He's the king of the Jews, but he's tried by the Romans because the Jews committed him into the Romans' hands. Isn't this a quandary? This is the same nation that went to God and said, we want a king like all the other nations. And now he sends the king of kings and they reject him. You know the problem with us as humans? We don't know what we want. We don't know what we need. And so they went to God and petitioned God, give us a king. God gave them Saul. They got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. They had an intimate relationship with God. They were living in a theocracy, but they said, we want to be like the other nations. The nations that don't know God, we want to be like them. We like the way they roll. We want to ride like them. And God then gives them a good king, David. Now there's one greater than David, and they're delivering him to the Romans. See, in Roman law, only the emperor had the authority to appoint one as king. But they didn't know the one they spat on, the one they smacked, was greater than the emperor. There was one greater than David in front of them. There was one greater than Caesar. One day Caesar will bow down to this Jesus who's the king of the Jews. Yes, he's the king of the Jews. He's more than that. He's my king. He's your king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the ruler of every nation. But in their ignorance, they didn't know what they're doing. That's why Jesus could forgive them, even on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If they would have known who he was, they wouldn't have done what they did, and that's why their eyes were blinded. 
There was a veil on their eyes. Jesus didn't answer a word because even though he was in pain, even though his flesh was tired, he had a purpose. He realized that what's happening to me is nothing compared to my purpose. My purpose is to redeem humanity, is to restore that which Adam lost. He came to redeem, to restore, and to reconcile. Reconciliation would not be possible. We are reconciled to God because he was willing to take it. He was willing to take it so you could make it. He was willing to take it so that you can make it. And because he endured the shame of the cross, there's nothing that you can't endure. You need to tell yourself, I'm going to make it. Yes, in the world we have tribulation, but be of good courage because he's overcome the world and he's with you right now to help you overcome every challenge that you have. Accusation can penetrate. But he took accusation and never said a word. It wasn't true. It doesn't feel good when people lie on you. But that's the least time, times you ought to fight because it's not true. Even if people believe a lie and you know the truth, why, why do you fight? Why do you fight? We need to ask ourselves that question. Why do we fight? What are we fighting? What are we fighting for? We're fighting for our own honor. The only honor that matters is the honor that we receive from God. If God honors you, then you are honorable. If you honor yourself, you are at risk of being prideful. Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself because there was a purpose bigger than what he was experiencing, and he experienced much. He experienced things that he had the power to break out of. But if he would have broke out of that, we could not have broken out of sin. We could not have broken out of death. We could not have broken out of the bondage that held generations captive. But because he loved us so much, he endured it. He took it. He had you and he had me on his mind. And Pilate marveled. He said, don't you hear what they're saying? Jesus didn't utter a mumbling word. Now, they called him the king of the Jews because they wanted to have something against him. It wasn't because they honored him as king. You don't spit on a king. You don't slap a king in the face, especially in the Middle East. You don't scourge and beat a king all night. And they took off his clothes and put a purple robe on him. And the purple represents, as you know, regalness, royalty. They put that on him and they beat him. They, they then took a crown of thorns and they put it in his head. This area here, especially around the temple, is sensitive. And you imagine the thick, long thorns, animal bones penetrating him, and the blood that's come, that precious blood streaming down his face. The pain, the intensity, because it doesn't let up. 
It is, those thorns are in there and they're stuck until he breathes his last breath. He never says a word. They put on the crown, mocking him as king, saying, you are the king of the Jews. They even wrote it on the cross, but it wasn't in reverence. It wasn't in honor. It was in mockery. They made a mockery of our savior, but he took the stripes. He took all 39 of those stripes and with his stripes, with his stripes, he was bruised for our transgressions. He was chastised and bruised and shamed and beaten because of our sin and for generations that are yet unborn. And he never said a mumbling word. Are you the king of the Jews? He's more than the king of the Jews. I'm glad that he's the king of kings. He's everybody's king. Even those who mock him, even those who spat upon him, he's still their king. He died for them also, and he died for you. Why would you not receive this great gift, this gift that came with a price? And because he was willing to pay the price, we were bought with a price. The price that we were purchased with was his suffering and his death. But more than that, his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Dead things have to live when Jesus shows up. That's why we call him. That's why we want him to come. Because that which is dead lives when he shows up. All he has to do is show up. And life springs forth. And if he speaks a word, life has to come forth. Lazarus, come forth. There's power in his word. There's power in his presence. And there's power in his blood. Let's go to the next part. I want to lift up another verse about this king. Matthew 27, 22 through 26 reads, Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now he's getting beat again. Ordered to be beat by a governor who just said, there's no evil in him. Ordered to be scourged by a governor who just admitted 
there's no evil in him. But to, to get, submit to the will of the people, he said, I got to do something because this is about to get out of hand. And as the governor of Rome, he's charged to keep the peace. So there's this big crowd. There's a huge mob, thousands of people, thousands in this mob crying out, crucify him. Now, there were some voices there who loved him, some of the people who followed him, but their voices were drowned out by the mob. Isn't it something that those who have the power of the truth are drowned out by the, the, the voice, the loudness, the boisterous nature of the mob? There are things that are released in the media that if you hear it over and over and over again, it becomes culturally acceptable. And some of the things that are culturally accept acceptable seem right to many. But I'm glad that there are some voices in the crowd who says, that's my king. There was somebody saying, no, he's Jesus. He is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the son of God. In fact, if I could skip forward a little bit on the cross, there was a centurion who had been trained all his life in Rome to, to know that anyone who is crucified by Roman law is a criminal. He had seen it over and over again. They are criminals. They've been convicted. We only do this to bad people. In fact, we have laws that only allow so much torture. You can only hit them 39 times. We do it the right way. We are a just society in the, the mind of those who are part of that society. But that day, he heard the seven things that Jesus said on the cross, and he watched it. He was fixated on him. And when he saw the earthquake, when he saw the sun refuse to shine, even though it was in the middle of the day, when he heard Jesus give up the ghost, he saw all those things, he said, surely, this is the Son of God, a Roman centurion trained in Roman law. He saw something that day at the cross. I would to God that somebody would get a revelation like the centurion. And even though in the culture, the things that are acceptable are, not, are antithetical to the things of God, I pray that God would give you a breakthrough. I pray that your earth would quake. I pray that the sun would not shine until that light breaks forth in your room so that you know that surely this is the son of God. I heard what the mob said. I saw what the government did to him, but surely this is the son of God. I've been trained to think differently. My experience taught me differently, but I saw something today that I've never seen. And I know for a fact that this is the son of God. That's the will of God that, that we would see something that's contrary to what we've been taught culturally, how we've been programmed, what we perceive to be right. Because we become a part, we become a part of our environment. We're creatures of our environment and the cultural things can have us wrapped up, but we won't give in to the mob. 
We saw something, we see something, we know something, we hear something that's different, and we don't follow strangers. We don't have a herd mentality because we know Jesus is the Christ. And so Pilate gives in to the mob because he's worried about his political standing. As a governor in Rome, he has lots of power. His wife has warned him, don't do anything to this Jesus. Don't I suffer many things because of this just man in a dream today. So Pilate washes his hands. That's his way of saying, I don't have anything to do with this. He said, you see to it. Even though he's governor of Rome, they're Jews. They're under the government. They don't have the same rights as Roman. Roman citizens, he's powerful, but he says, you see to it. And the people said something. God is so good that even in our blindness, even in our ignorance, he'll give us something that other generations can rejoice over. I want to lift up the verse where all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. All the people, now the mob said, his blood be on us and on our children. They didn't know what they're saying. They were saying it because they were responding to Pilate saying, listen, you don't have to worry about being a curse because of innocent blood. We'll take the curse on us. Let it be on us. But this man's blood that you want to be on you is being sprinkled, is being shed so that the curse can be lifted. The Bible says cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He hung on outside the gates of the city so he could take the curse on himself. You're wishing a curse on yourself and on your children, and you don't know that what this man is about to endure, this man called Jesus, is taking away the curse. This man's blood, this man's blood be upon us and on our children. When I read this and I understood it, I began to say, this man's blood be upon me and on my children for every generation because this blood is powerful. It speaks more excellent things than the blood of Abel. This blood washes away every sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This blood is life-giving. With the locked body, without the blood, is dead. There is no life without the blood. Drain the blood out of your body and see what happens. This man's blood be upon us and upon our children, even though they said it for the wrong reasons and in ignorance. The will of God was being so, so that this man's blood, we're all under one blood. This man's blood caused him to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. This man's blood redeemed all of humanity, everyone who's willing to come. This man's blood is better than the blood of bullocks and of goats because he shed it one time and everyone who's born and yet unborn can be washed in this blood. I'm talking about the blood that was drawn from Emmanuel's veins. This man's blood be upon us and upon our children. I wish someone would chat at me and say, this man's blood be upon us and upon our children. This blood will never lose its power. I'm talking about the blood that is power, that reaches 
to the highest mountains that flows to the lowest valley. I'm talking about the blood that will never lose its power, the blood that has cleansing power, the blood that can turn your life around, the blood that can wash away your sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died on the cross. That's how I know it was the blood for me. This man's blood be upon us and upon our children. They didn't realize what they were saying, but the power of God cannot be stopped. The mob can't stop the power of God. Ignorance can't stop the power of God. Lies can't stop the power of God. The devil in hell can't stop the power of God. And the power of God was released on humanity through the shedding of his blood. The power of that moment wasn't recognized in that moment, but he left his word as an inheritance for us to know that what they said in ignorance is a reason for us to rejoice. This man's blood be upon us and upon our children. And I add the word forever, forever. May every generation know the power of his might. May every generation be cleansed and washed in his blood. That blood that offended some that blood when all the people that he fed, the 5,000 and the 4,000, 4, when he confronted them about his blood and his body, they all turned away. And he asked the disciples, are you going to leave also? And Peter, as his tradition, said, no, you have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? There's nowhere to go to find life apart from him. He endured this from sinners. He was delivered to sinners. And in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, Paul said, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He was sinless. And as I said, his flesh wasn't weak because our flesh becomes weaker and weaker when we yield to temptation. He was tempted just like us, but yet without sin. And that's how he had the, he rose up with the power to redeem you and me. Peter says it this way in his first epistle, beginning at chapter two. He says, for this, verse 21, for this, you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. What he did in front of Caiaphas and in front of Pilate was an example who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't utter a word, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him 
who judges right, righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's more than a king. He's greater than a king. He's the shepherd, the one who protects us, the one who keeps us out of harm's way when the wolves try to attack our shepherd. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He's the overseer of our soul. He watches over our soul, that place that nobody can touch but him. He's our overseer. When we were going astray, when we were lost, unprotected, sheep without a shepherd, a sheep without a shepherd is vulnerable, is exposed. I don't care if a sheep thinks in their mind that they're strong, they're vulnerable and they're exposed. And when the wolf comes, they become prey. There are too many people in our generation who see strength in themselves and don't know that they're prey. They have no idea that they're prey. And there's one walking to and fro in the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And one of the ways he devours us is he gets us in revelry. Someone reviles us, we revile back. Someone does something wrong to us, we threaten them. Peter said he gave us an example. We ought not do that. We ought to trust the one who's righteous. He's saying, put your hand in the master's hand and he'll take care of you. He will take care of you. Do you trust him to take care of you? Do you trust his finished work on the cross? There is something about the preaching of the cross that reminds us of the sacrifice that he made for us. And when we are mindful of that sacrifice, it shapes, it molds the way we live, the way we walk, and the way we talk. We no longer live to ourselves, but unto him. Do you know him? That's my king. He's not just the king of the Jews. That's my king. Is there anybody else who claims him as king? Is there anybody who claims him? The people in this day rejected him, but we receive him. We receive you gladly today, Lord. We receive you in every house, every household represented. We receive you. God, there are some who know you well, who are getting to know you better because you're bringing us back. You're bringing us closer to the foot of the cross. To those who've been following you for a distance, they're now coming from a distance. They're coming closer. God, be more intimate with us because we want to be more intimate with you. We're drawing near to you, and you promise to draw near to us. We're resisting the devil, and he's got to flee from us because you said so. Temptation is not a sin, but yielding to the temptation is a sin. Teach us, God, how to resist because every time we resist the devil, he must flee. But every time we yield to the temptation, we give room 
to him, and we can't say as you say, the prince of this world came and found nothing in me. There's something in me that he can take advantage of or leverage, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's my hope. That's your hope, that he is greater, and that's why we submit ourselves to him. We need him to be our overseer. We need him to be our shepherd. We cannot do this alone. And for those of you who don't know him, today I offer you this Jesus. That doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. You saw what he endured, and he gave us a promise. He said, in the world, you will have tribulations. But then he gave us hope. He said, but be of good courage, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And because he's overcome, he's made us overcomers. He has made us more than conquerors. Do you admire a conqueror? Well, you're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. And today he wants to express his love to you. He wants to be with you forever and ever and ever, never to leave you, never to forsake you, but to be with you always. We're living in a time and in a culture where people make commitments and they walk away. They promise that I'm going to be with you until death do we part. And then they start thinking about themselves and they part. Not my king. He will never depart. Some of you have paid because people have departed out of your life. I promise you, he'll never leave you. When you're in trouble, he's not doing this because he wants something from you. He's doing it because he wants something for you. There are too many people in our lives who want something from us. And because they stand to benefit, they say sweet things until they get what they want. All he wants is your salvation. All he wants is to give you life. He wants to make an exchange with you. Here's the transaction. You give him your sin, and he'll give you his life. You give him your sin, he'll give you eternal life. Who wouldn't take a deal like that? I'm a business person. I know a good deal when I see one. I've never seen a deal like that. I've never, there's not enough money in the world to execute that transaction. Jeff Bezos can't afford it. Nobody. We were bought with a price that's greater than silver and gold. The mint, all the governments in the world, you take all of their currency, it can't add up to one soul being saved. Not one. Because the price, the price that was required and the price that was paid was this man's blood. This man's blood be on your house and on your children. This man's blood be on the doorpost of your house so that death would pass over. This man's blood be upon you to take away every stain of sin. Sin has lost its power. It's lost its grip on us because of this man's blood. There's somebody waiting and willing and ready to pray with you. Right now, you ought to log in. Do whatever you need to do. Instruction is on the screen so that they can pray with you. Some of you, 
who know him, you're struggling. You ought to go. This is not, a, God is not a respecter of person. Go get prayer. For those who, who decided today that you want to receive him, go and let someone agree with you in prayer. Yes, he's a king. He's more than the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. He's a savior. He's, he is, Isaiah said it this way, unto us a son is born. Unto us a child was given. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. And of his, of his kingdom, of his government, there shall be no end. The people in his day would have worshipped him if he would have overthrown the government of Rome. But they didn't realize he came to usher in a government that was greater than Rome. Rome is a, is a rubble. I've been to Rome. It's a wonderful thing to see the ruins, but they are ruins. But his kingdom is still standing. They were looking for something temporal. He was offering something everlasting. And I want to beseech you today by the mercies of God, put away temporal things. He'll give you what you need. Those things will follow you as you seek the kingdom. You don't have to follow things. Things will follow you. Doors open that you don't even see. The favor of God is such that things will happen for you that you didn't foresee, that haven't been foretold. When you commit yourself wholly to him with your whole heart, he will take care of you. God will take care of you. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.